Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 45 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Low Float Goat. And I'm joined here by my accomplished co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a house street legend who ran around Vancouver chasing more cat than Pepe Le Pew. I'm talking about the man who only furnishes with rich white leather upholstery. I'm talking about Saskatchewan's beloved son, JJ. How's it going? Good, brother Ray, and it's good to have you back, man. Now your new nickname is the COVID Kid. Oh, man. I, I beat it. And you I'm beat back. its ass. <laughs> yeah, I beat it. I'm back. I uh, just got to put this uh, this weight back on, uh, and we're back in business. Good to have you back. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. And our guest today is a full-time trader educator and author of the highly regarded book, Technical Analysis, using multiple time frames. A man who has worked for Lehman Brothers and other major investment firms over his career, founder of alphatrends.net, and the man who trademarked the saying, only price pays. I'm talking about Brian Shannon. Brian, how's it going, man? Going good. Hey, good to see you guys. Glad you're healthy and thanks for having me on. Yes, yes, our pleasure. Appreciate you coming on, Brian. So, so Brian, only price pays. Why is it such a hard uh, concept for people to grasp? That's a great question. Um, you know, it, it, because people are used to hearing so much bullshit that, you know, you have to have volume, that you have to, you know, have analysts behind it, that you have to have whatever they're told that, you know, by professors or people on television, but not from people that are actually putting their money in the market, risking it and mm. trading. Yeah. And if you trade, you know that you can sound really smart and, you know, make all the talking points. But when it comes to your trade, if the market doesn't agree with you, you're going to lose your ass and you're going to be in big trouble quickly. So it, it, most people have a hard time with it because most people are still trying to intellectualize the market, I think, mm -hmm. rather than sit down and make money trading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. I mean, it's um, I, I've always been leery of people who have uh, analysis and who don't have skin in the game, right? Because it's, it's totally different skill sets from uh, understanding things from maybe a intellectual standpoint and then executing and applying that knowledge in real time. Um, always found that interesting, bridging that gap and respect people who are able to do both. Um, so just a reminder to the listeners, uh, if you guys want to learn market auction theory, market profile, trade futures, trade equities, join JJ and I. At our lovely trading community at microefutures.com. Uh, Brian, before you started Alpha Trends, you worked on Wall Street for a good stretch. Uh, can you describe to us what that time period of your life was like? Sure. Uh, so I was a broker, and, you know, starting out. And, you know, as I, as I tell people, to me, I, you know, I, when I was in high school, Ned, I had an interest in the stock market and that followed into college. And, you know, I wasn't the best student out there, so I certainly wasn't going to get into Wall Street, you know, uh, via investment banking or some higher up intellectual type job. So I started as a broker and it, in that brokerage position, I kind of thought really, I mean, I was a little bit naive when I was younger. I, I, I will admit to this, this is, you know, 30 plus years ago that 
I thought I'd be kind of like wheeling and dealing and, you know, building portfolios for people and trading stocks on their behalf. Little did I realize it was a glorified telemarketing position. And it was just smile and dial. And boy, I, you know, it was tough to force the smile because I hated it. Um, so, you know, I, so I worked at, you know, I started out with a little bucket shop called Thomas James and then realized that, you know, that's not the place to be. So I went to Lehman Brothers and learned how to sell, which was great because that's what really was great at Lehman there. To, to, at Lehman, you know, a successful call is you either get the answer or they hang up on you. And so it was super aggressive. Um, but they were really successful and they were really the leaders at, you know, opening accounts through, through, you know, telemarketing, you know, cold calls and that. Um, so I left Boston, which is where Lehman was at, came to Denver in 1993 and then started uh, out here with a company called uh, Dane Bosworth and stayed there for about two years and then uh, made the jump to full-time trading through um, generic trading, which was a, a prop shop that used to advertise in the IBD all the time. So since then, I've had a you know number of different little stints, but uh, I've, I've had uh, alpha trends now for, I guess, that long, 12 years, I think. Yeah. Well, wow. you know, you know, Brian, I always, I always like asking successful traders about their learning curve when they first started, because I think it's useful information, especially for like a newcomer. What was it like when you first learned how to trade in your, uh, you know, just the general learning curve? Yeah, well, the great thing is I, I get around about this as well, is I got to practice with other people's money for money for a number of years. And, you know, like they say, when you're a broker, you have to fake it till you make it. And, you know, I was 23, 24, 25 years old. I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, but I, you know, had some strategies that I had learned, such as earning surprises and, and marrying that with the chart. And I never hurt anyone badly. And I've always had just naturally a strong, uh, uh, you know, high defensiveness, I guess, uh, strong risk management. So, you know, when I made the jump, it was, I, I was too naive to be scared. I, because I was, you know, young and cocky and, and, uh, I was making money every month, and but it, but I didn't start with a good capital base, and I you know had just had my first son at this time, um, no other source of income, and so with Generic I actually opened an, a, 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 an office for them in Denver, and started a day trading shop back in 1994 95 I think it was actually I started out first with. Uh, so with them, and then I went and started my own office with uh, Landmark Securities. Um, and we had other people, you know, traders come in. We would basically lease them a desk and that sort of, you know, that model and get a little piece of their commission. So, um, you know, it was, it was difficult to do, but I was, you know, fortunately, I, I always had kind of like a little bit of a side gig as well. So I was teaching a technical analysis class. I had the office. Um, so that took some of that pressure off because there was way too much pressure uh, with, you know, my wife wasn't working, baby at home, only source of income was trading. And it was, you know, fortunately, I was smart enough to see, hey, I, ne I need other sources of income here. And, and, you know, just to take some of that pressure off. And it, it really helps the trading results to do that, where it's not just live and die by your P&L. 
Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. Uh, just from my experience playing poker, like solely just for income and the amount of pressure and stress it puts on you, it's almost, uh, I don't know, Brian, if you'd agree, it's almost, I think it might be near impossible to just think clearly, at, at least at certain times, uh, just that pressure. And so I think it's, a, you know, when we talk to newer traders and it's like, if this is the leap you're going to do, you have to like, I, like think of how much money you might need and then probably double it or, you know, whatever yeah. it would be. I mean, would you agree? I would agree. And, you know, they, so, you know, circling back around to the brokerage business, they used to, you know, they, there was a, a pride amongst the, or, you know, so the manager would try to build a, a, a pride of, listen, you guys are warriors. You go out there each month and you start each month at zero. And, you know, those salary guys, they don't do that. They already have it made, whatever. Well, guess what? In trading, you might start out at minus whatever from their last month, or you're still digging out of a hole from something stupid you did three months ago. And you don't have that luxury of being able to start over fresh scratch each month. So it's that extra additional. It's the true eat what you kill. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it, it, when that's all you have, you can put so much pressure on yourself that it just, you know, like they say, when you put your money to the market, you leverage, you, 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 you commit your emotions as well. When you leverage it, you, you leverage your emotions as well. And you start doing really stupid things with your money. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, the, just the, the mind fuck it could take you down is, uh, you know, <laughs> incredible. So it's, um, yeah, yeah. It's something to be, you know, if this is something you really want to do for your, you know, just know what you're getting into. That's what I really always stress to everybody. Uh, JJ. Yeah. So JJ, I know um, you have some questions for Brian from uh, maybe his days in the, the bucket shops and whatnot. Well, you know, every, every time I hear the word bucket shop, it, it brings back fond memories. So um, <laughs> now tell me about Thomas James. What, what, where, what city were you in when you were there? This was in Boston. So, oh, in Boston. Yeah, so we had, I'm trying to think of him. It probably wouldn't do anyone any good to name the name of the manager. But it was this little five foot four guy, wore this like $20,000 suit. He was probably 26 years old. And, you know, they, it, it, it was really you know, like the movie Boiler Room. I didn't realize what was going on. But when, you know, we had these companies, I remember one in particular was Dynagen. And Dynagen was, oh, shoot, what were they? Oh, I, what I about the clients? It was, it was something that clients needed to have. And, you know, they, so, it, but, but the stock would trade, let's say, you know, $3 by, by $4.25. I mean, it was ridiculous, the spreads on these oh, things. Oh, yeah. And, and you would, you know, you would charge a full 5% commission every single time. Nice. Plus, once in a while, you know, the manager with that day would say, okay, we've got it. We've got a special on Dynagen. It's 425 with a dollar in it. And that means that basically, you know, the, the, the 425, it means that you're, they own inventory at 325 they're selling at 425 and they're giving the broker me a dollar per share in addition to the 5% on top of that. The client doesn't know that there's a dollar and a quarter spread because you know, used to get the, the quotes out of the newspaper and no one really had quotes. What's the quote? It's, it's four and a quarter. You're a buyer. 
oh, what, what's the quote? I'm, I, I want to sell it. Oh, it's only three. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems shady, but I was young. I was just got my foot in the door. I don't know what the hell's going on here. I'm trying to make a living for myself. Um, that was a beautiful was, chop. A dollar is a nice chop. Oh, it was crazy sometimes, <laughs> the, the, the moves that were in there. And, and, and the, th the other thing is, too, then you would – you know, put it into the commission calculator. And sometimes the commission calculator would, you know, say the commission is 3.3% for whatever reason. So you'd look at it and it might be, so let's just say $330. Yeah. You'd say uh, the, the, the customer would have no idea what the commission structure is. Exactly. And, you know, you'd say, you'd say, what's the commission? Well, I'll do it for an even 500 for you. Even though the commission calculator <laughs> said three thirty, I mean it was just awful. But you know that's uh, that's how you learn, and that's you know that's what got my foot in the door. So I don't have any regrets. I don't. Uh, but I, I didn't last there very long because I truly, you know, had an opportunity with at Lehman where yeah. I, I worked actually as a dialer for a million dollar producer. Yep. So I you know started out as a dialer yep. and then a qualifier then an mm -hmm. account opener, and then, you know, getting my own accounts. Now, have you, the, the famed Lehman Brothers Bible sales training manual, did you ever get a, did you ever keep a copy of one of those? I did. I have it, I have it electronically. Uh, I, 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 I put it on uh, uh, Twitter once and I, okay. I can dig it up. I have it saved electronically somewhere. It's, it's hilarious to read. Exactly. Love, love, love to hear about that. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's cool because I, Dynagen was one of my clients oh, and yeah. I was, I, I was actually the guy who came up with the leads for you guys to call. Okay. I was the lead generation guy. Okay. So yeah, I was at a company called stock deck, which was that card deck in the gold foil package the other with all the was, 15 uh, profiles. Uh, what was the other one called? It was, uh, Oh, I think his name was Bob Bolin or something like that, who, who had the yep. lead company. It was, uh, uh, anyway, they were like uh, white index cards with a blue yeah. around them. And we used to buy a ton of those lead calls, uh, cards, you know, say yeah. net worth, average idea. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, you know, you'd inevitably stumble into some microfiche here and there. Gotta hit those Glengarry leads, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, somehow microfiche used to go around, and, and you know, I think the sales assistants at other firms would, you know, take the microfiche statements. So yeah. you would call up a client and say, "Hey, hey, Bob, you know, listen, and I, you know, I understand you like biotech stocks. So you'd be looking at his portfolio and Amgen, mm -hmm. Pfizer, and Johnson yeah. and Johnson." Um, so you'd pitch them on Glaxo or something like that. Um, just, you know, the, the, the shadiness in that business is just. It, oh yeah. It, it's classic. Classic. It's classic. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to take you down a, a trip down uh, memory. Yeah. There. What did Dynagen do? I forgot. I know they had like oh. a lot of cures or they, I don't remember what it was. I don't know. I think it was, I, it was a biotech stock. Cause what we do is we take 50 profiles of these public companies, put it in a gold, gold foil package, send it out to 200,000 people. And then they'd send back which ones that they were interested in. So wow. that would be a hot lead for you guys because they're yeah. interested. Cool. Right. Yeah. So that's how I started. 
<laughs> then I took all the promoters, the guys who used to work at H.J. Myers, Thomas James, once they became stock promoters, had their own deals. And I sold their stock into the United States um, okay. through Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Well, yeah, on yeah, different yeah. sides. Yeah, no, it never gets old hearing this stuff. Um, Brian, so what, what was the, uh, the dot-com era like for you? You know, I was at a company called MarketWise, and I was, uh, I, I was a trader there, and I ran their education. We had a proprietary trading uh, group, and the head of that guy was fired one day, and I inherited this group of 23 or so uh, guys. And, and a lot of them were just, they were buying, you know, when, when, when the market crashed, there was this one guy in particular who sat next to me and he would come in and he would just say, what, what stocks down the most today? And he would just start buying 500 shares at a time, every, every half point, every dollar down. And, you know, he would do this at, you know, 930 Eastern, he'd just start buying it. And every day by noon, he would leave and he'd be up five, 10, $15,000. I saw it happen like 23 days in a row. And I'm thinking, this guy just—how is he making this happen? This goes against everything I know about, you know, buying a stock when you have the momentum in your favor. So, twenty day twenty-three, he sits down and I said, "Hey, Darren, what are what are we buying today?" He's like, "Wait a minute, did you say we?" I said, "Yeah, I'm in. Let's do this." And it was it was a biotech stock, and anyways, I started out with 500 shares. I was buying another 500 down every half a dollar. And I think I had about 11,000 shares. <laughs> it just kept plummeting. Oh God. And so I, you know, it, it, you know, of course it happened that way, which, which was probably the best thing. Otherwise I would have kept doing that so-called strategy. So I had to blow it out, take a big loss. The, the guy I worked for was totally cool about it. Cause it was prop, you know, money. I made it back in the next month and a half or so. Um, but it was, it was really a, for me, uh, the, the dot-com was, it, it was a very profitable time because besides that, you know, pretty much that one event, I was making good money pretty much every single month um, because I was, I was thriving on the volatility. And when the volatility was there, it was really, I was, I, I kind of view that as my prime in terms of my trading years. So that was, you know, 12 years ago, I was 40 years old. And that was really when I was kind of, you know, just the most into it, the sharpest to, to be able to sit down and concentrate at a day trade level without getting up to go to the bathroom or getting distracted with something else. Um, it was really, for me, it was a great time, the, the, you know, when the bubble crashed. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, there's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm real into, you know, not just strategy and trading, but poker, just, just, you know, all around. And I often think of, you know, the, the approaches that an institutional trader would take versus a retail trader, right? Because I, I would imagine it, there's a lot of differences, different approaches. Uh, could you maybe speak to those? Yeah, so I, th I think that, you know, I, I explain it sometimes with the 50-day moving average. We all know that you're supposed to look at the 50-day moving average. Why is it? Well, it's because it often acts as support, and, that, and people will just accept that. They'll say, well, the 50-day moving average, you know, they'll say is support, and we don't know that until after the fact. I mean, we just saw that with the, 
with the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 that we spent a few days, you know, below that 50-day moving average. And the initial buyers there ended up losing, you know, money unless they, of course, you know, averaged in or continued to hold. But for my time frame, which is a swing trade, I want to look at that 50-day moving average and say, okay, there's potential that buyers might emerge there. But why would they? Why, why would they emerge in that level? So if you have a stock that's been in this giant uptrend, it went from 20 to 50, and you know it pulls back to its 50-day moving average, which is at 43. Well, on the way up from that 35, 40, 50 level, you know someone like Fidelity might have 10 million shares of this stock, and they know that they have to sell when they can. So they might sell 100,000, you know, half a million shares from 40 to 50, let's say. And then as it pulls back down to the 50-day moving average, they might stick in a bid for another 200,000 shares to defend the other 9 million shares they have to put in a bid there so that other people will be attracted to it. At the same time, there might be a hedge fund that, you know, said, hey, it's, you know, it's just run this far. It's three standard deviations away from the 50-day moving average. It's at $50 a share. That 50-day that moving average is down at 44 and heading up. Let's short it down to the 50-day moving average. So it'll add supply, add supply, put pressure on it. That'll get other people, you know, to sell some of their stock. And then when it gets down to the 50-day moving average, they're going to start bidding for it. They're going to stop pressuring it with supply. Uh, so remove, we remove supply. We remove supply from the Fidelity fund that, that I you know, made up. And that Fidelity fund now adds some demand in there just to stabilize the stock so they don't lose money and attract other participants. The short sellers are saying, hey, it's at the 50-day moving average. That's often support. That's where our goal was. Let's start bidding. So less demand from them, I'm less supply from them as well. And then they start you know, creating some demand in that environment. Then other people say, hey, it's at the 50-day moving average. Let me stick in a bid. It usually acts as support. So you have all these people coming to the same conclusion in the same area. Then if you take on top of that, let's say it's a 38.2% retracement of whatever the last move was. You might have another group of participants saying, hey, it's a 38.2% retracement. That's where I'm going to buy. Or, you know, the short sellers might say it's at that 38.2% retrace. So in other words, if there's a couple of different, you know, especially bigger types of, uh, you know, 50-day moving average, a Fibonacci retracement, and maybe a prior level of resistance, which we're looking to become support, if those all three come together in the same area, we're going to have different groups coming to the same conclusion, and it's going to be a much stronger area of interest. And therefore, we want to look at it and say, okay, we've got the prior resistance people maybe buying here because they think it's going to be support. We've got the 50-day moving average people here. We've got the Fibonacci people here. And then, you know, there might be some sunspots and a couple of people, you know, but we don't have to be concerned about those. We want to be aware of what are the majority of people looking at? What are the main tools that they're looking at? And then say, okay, there's our level of interest. Now I want to switch down to a shorter term time frame, And that's where I get interested. Let's let the other people do the dirty work of creating the, 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 the support in that area at the 50-day moving yeah. average, at the retracement, et cetera. And then on the shorter term time frame, once it tightens up 
and becomes an area where it looks like we have, you know, a low risk setup where I can manage my risk tight and it makes a higher high in a shorter term time frame. That's where I want to get involved. Again, let the other people do the dirty work of creating the setup and let's get in and catch the wave right as it's about to break. Let me just jump in right there. Thank you yeah. very much for saying that. I've been teaching these guys this about, you know, how supply gets introduced and you just actually put it into, because most of the people I do I talk to are candle traders or, you know, uh, chart traders. Right. And so this is the first time that someone's expressed it in those terms. Cause I'm always telling them what I'm doing when I'm moving stock around and making markets. And that was a great explanation. Thank you very much. That's just beautiful. That nailed yeah, it right cool. on Yeah, cool. And again, it's, it's, yeah. it's price pays because it's supply mm -hmm. and demand. That's why you exactly. use your volume profile because mm -hmm. that's an objective way of looking at where the supply and demand are. Candles, I, you know, I had to learn candles to get a CMT. As soon as that was over, I knew I was never going to use them for saying, hey, that's a three marching shoulder, you know, soldiers or, or whatever. <laughs> I've never seen anyone who really ever makes money. You know, some some hanging men and dojis once in a while people will point out. But but in, in cups and handles, you know, people are, are so obsessed with pattern recognition and, hey, is that a cup and a handle or is that an ascending shoulder, you know, this or who gives a shit about the name? Understand <laughs> what's going on. Right. It's true. Well, how is that being God. formed? That's exactly. what you need to understand. Under supply, stand, uh, stand, excuse me, supply and demand dynamics and market beautiful. structure. Beautiful. A breath of fresh air. Thank you. Thank cool. you so much. Yeah. I, beautiful. I, I knew, uh, JJ, it's funny. I knew as Brian was explaining that, I knew like you were just like just giddy with, with joy hearing him explain. Oh, this is finally. what I'm this is, and this is what, yeah. what I said before we started, guys, when I was saying, like, your guys, you know, you guys might have different ways of looking at the market as far as, you know, like, chart-wise, but the philosophy is the exact same. And I think this is yeah. probably one of the biggest things, JJ and Brian, that's helped me is, like, looking through the market through this lens, right? It's, like, the whole point of technical analysis is to understand the participants' motivations. Would you guys say that's true? I think it absolutely is that, that it's, it's about, you know, trying to, you know, create a framework for decision making and saying, here's where it makes sense based on supply and demand. Let's test it a little bit with some money. Let's add to it as it confirms and then manage risk. And it's really a lot simpler than most people want to admit or, you know, are, are capable of realizing actually. Yeah, and I find that fascinating, Brian, is that like the people want to overcomplicate it yeah. further than it is. I, I don't know what it is about the human brain. Um, I just, I mean, I know it's not wired for uh, proper risk taking, but I, I don't know. I just find it really fascinating. Yeah, the, the, the wired for risk taking is fortunately something that I, I feel like I am. It, it's, you know, I can look at my career and say that it's, you know, I, the, the skeptic could say, well, you know, my biggest, uh, you know, issue is I sell my winners too early, but I also sell my losers even quicker and I don't hold, I'm not the greedy last guy in there, but I'm, I'm truly looking to just, you know, manage it, carve out, you know, maybe hang on to some straggler shares once in a while, really size up in something, but I usually, <laughs> I usually get it wrong. 
um, when I do. Um, that is, you know, I, I, I see something that looks just perfect and so often, I don't know why it's not. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Um, so you've, you've got to just defer to price action, only price pays. And, and, it, and if, and just because I think it's the best idea, if the market doesn't agree, I'm, I'm willing to let go of my opinion because I work too hard for my money. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, so tell us a little bit about, um, your company Alpha Trend and, uh, what you guys do over there. Okay. Well, AfroTrends started, I, th I think, like I said, 12 years ago when I was working at MarketWise. MarketWise was a you know trading school and we had a proprietary trading department. Um, they kind of wrapped up uh, 12, 13 years ago. And then, you know, and I was doing a newsletter for them each and every day. It was called the Wise Guide. And I would put stock ideas on there in three with three different time frames. And then I, I was in the habit of doing that every day. And it really made me better as a trader to just have that as part of my process. So when I, I left and I was, you know, back to full-time trading myself, I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do this blog thing that I've been hearing about. So I started alphatrends.blogspot. And then I, you know, I, I started doing videos. So I was, you know, kind of early to YouTube uh, and, and I would do the videos, you know, post them each day and I kept seeing it grow and grow and grow and grow. And I just, you know, I didn't want to deal with the hassle of creating a subscription product. And, you know, it, it was a lot more work back then than it is today. It's not all plug and play. Fortunately, um, you know, Howard Lindzen, uh, reached out to me once and, you know, it, 10 years ago and said, Hey, get on Twitter, you know, do you want to monetize this? We'll do a blog for you and take care of everything behind the scenes. And I'm like, great, I've got this audience. I mean, might as well turn on, you know, a revenue. So uh, in, in the last 10 years, I've been doing alphatrends.net each day. And it's, uh, you know, a swing trade service where I give ideas. And I, you know, I always tell people, don't trade just, you know, every idea. I might have six ideas. One's a $3 stock. One's a $200 stock you know, there's three $40 stocks, do the ones that make sense to you. Don't, if you don't like biotechs, don't trade them. I personally, you know, will mention a gold stock and I'll say, listen, I don't trade gold stocks. It's a good looking setup, but you go ahead. If you like gold stocks, here's the reasoning. Here's the thought process behind it. It's not just, Hey, well, what did you do? Well, why would it matter what I do? It's your money we're talking about. I, I understand they want to feel that connection, but if I'm trying to teach a process and get them really to think for themselves at the end of the day and understand it, that's really, you know, the value that I think I, I add to the community that I, that I've built there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what it's about. It's not just, you know, people just want things like fed to them and you're never going to be successful long-term. It's about the thought process Right. Uh, how you get to the trade, not necessarily even the outcome of the trade itself. Um, no, why wouldn't we just go manage money? If you want, if you want to just me manage money, then, you know, that that's my, not my business. I, I don't enjoy that. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy hunting through the market and explaining it. And, you know, there, there's roles for all of us here in this market. And, and the, the most difficult for, you know, thing for newer people is, do I trade futures? Do I trade options? Do I trade Forex? Should I go into Bitcoin, Robinhood, Ameritrade? You know, there's so many different ways 
that people have to figure out what their personality is and the markets that appeal to their personality as well. Right, 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 for sure. Something I've um, excited about talking to you about, and I know you're a proponent of, um, which I don't know too much about, uh, anchored VWAP. Right. So, so if you just explain to us what it is and how it helps you um, aiding your trading decisions. Yeah, sure. So similar to, you know, the point of control in a volume profile, the way that I'll look at the volume weighted average price, it started out as an institutional benchmark to say, you know, did somebody do a good job buying 100,000 shares of stock for me that day? The volume weighted average price is simply the average price the stock traded at during the period of time measured. And it started out as one day. So if the stock was 40 at the low, 44 at the high and closed at 42, you know, where was the average transaction? We can't tell just by the open high, low and close. So the, it's the dollar cost average over the period of time. So for instance, if I look at a, the anchoring part says, I wanna start my measurement from this point forward. And that point forward might be something such as the earnings report or something that where you know, the, there was a catalyst in the market that we saw a big revaluation. Uh, in other words, we had new information. It caused you know, a shock to the market, let's say with a gap. So from that event, let's measure the average price going forward. So that becomes the point of control. And, you know, it's, it's different. It's not to say, I don't mean to offend any volume profile people because I know there's a, a very specific purpose, you know, re, yeah. uh, uh, terminology for point of control, um, which, which the volume weighted average price kind of is actually, it's, you know, it's, it's not yeah. the highest volume node all the time, but it's where the average participant is, is, is positioned from a certain event. So if the earnings were reported 10 days ago and the stock is above the volume weighted average price for that 10 days, it means the average participant for the last 10 days who's long is making money. The average short is losing money. So you look at that and say, well, do we have a big short position in there too? So we can kind of benchmark, you know, who's in control, the buyers or sellers from any point in time whether it's a pullback high or low, I, I like to use those as well. Uh -huh. uh, month to date is often very important or as is week to date. Um, so it, it just gives us an objective way to say who's in control, buyers or sellers. It's, it's really sentiment, it, it's true sentiment. It's not just opinions in a poll and, and made up stuff. Hey, I guess I'll say bearish this week to throw off their poll, you know? Um, <laughs> There's actual, it's money in the game. It's the actual, you know, the money average from any point in time. So we can use that to say, okay, I want to look at low volume pullbacks in towards this area. And it becomes a level of interest. That level of interest has the potential to become a level of support. As it starts moving away from that, I'll buy it with a stop below that most recent relevant low. And it really just, again, it's just truly objective measurement of who's in control. Excellent, excellent. And so Brian, and, um, <clears throat> thoughts on indicators, I guess as a whole, and how to incorporate them generally into a trading strategy. Cause I think, and I think you would agree with me too, sometimes people take it like too literal. Yeah. 
You think so? Yeah. It, they do just like they do, you know, chart patterns or, mm -hmm. or candlesticks. I think that, you know, people want to quantify that, hey, you know, a cup and handle is 85% effective in these conditions or whatever, or that, you know, the MACD crossover of the zero line go, and then goes from the 20 to 40, whatever. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having indicators and oscillators. They can be great, helpful tools. And, and, and it's, you know, here again, what market do I trade? But then where do I find what makes sense to me in the market? Maybe it is the RSI or the MACD or the moon cycle or whatever it might be. If, if, if you find value in it, keep using it, I say. Mm -hmm. um, I personally, on my charts, I look at a couple simple moving averages, volume weighted average price, you know, price and volume, and really not a lot more. And I, you know, earlier in my career, I, I would look at and study, you know, the CCI, the RSI, the MACD, this Bollinger Band, the stochastic, etc. And I would always be looking to build a system around it. Um, but then I was like, wait a minute, just look at the price, look at multiple time frames, and look at what's going on with the price action underneath the market. And then when I discovered the VWAP, it was, okay, now I have a very objective way. It's much more objective. It's not, it's not a mathematical, complicated formula. It's actual, here are where the buyers and sellers are meeting up and doing business. Exactly. Right. The tape never lies, right? It's actual business and transactions that have taken place. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 No, because I, I mean, I, I use indicators, um, and I just, you know, because I like, I brought it up, Brian, because I like what you said. It was a quote. I, I think you said that the traders take technical analysis too literally. And I think it's, it's all about context that can be used successfully. I know others use it. I use it successfully, but it's all about context, I believe. It's, you know, it's, it's the science of technical analysis that you read in the books and it's, you know, the perfect. And I, and I wrote a book. I didn't put all perfect examples in there for the reason that, you know, it's not all perfect, that things go wrong, and that's why we use stops. But there, it's the science of technical analysis, and, it, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's the science of, of medicine, and a doctor's trained to do things a certain way, but he gets in there, and he sees this tumor, he sees something else, or something happens. You've got to adjust. You've got to, you know, have your guidelines, but there's the art. There's the art of, you know, shooting the basketball, it's not just every time you're at this point of the court, you shoot. Well, what about this guy over here coming in and blocking and, you know, all kinds of things. It's, it's, it's never the way the science is. It's the art of trading that, that matters the most. Right, right. For sure. Well said. Well said. Brian, what are your thoughts about the online retail trading community by and large as a whole? They're part of the market. Embrace them. I, I think that, you know, a lot of people make fun of the Robin Hood traders and that sort of thing. But, you know, when, when I was first trading, uh, I was, you know, my first trade was low jack. I think I was 13 years old. And, you know, my dad had to open an account. He had to get the money in there. It wasn't just I could just get on my phone and put my newspaper route money in there and just play around and and learn by doing it, it, there was this whole big process. I think that the fact that the barrier to entry has dropped like that and people are going to make mistakes. Guess what? You're an adult. You're, you're, it's your money. 
you're allowed to make those mistakes. Let's let them continue to do what they're doing as long as they're aware of what the risks are and no one's trying to take advantage of them. I think it's, I, I love it. I, I'm jealous. I wish I had that when I was younger. Yeah, 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 good perspective. What, what about your thoughts just as, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, I, and JJ knows how I feel about certain people, I guess, you know, maybe on Twitter, I, I guess. Um, sometimes it's <laughs> a big circle jerk. Um, a lot of fluff. Uh, do you see any of that, or am I just being a little harsh, I guess? No, you're not being harsh at all. That's a, an absolute reality. Um, that there's, there's so much noise on social media. Um, and and, and it, it's, again, there's another confusing area. It's like, it's like an indicator. Do you, you know, just tune that indicator out or do you have it on your stream? Are you obsessively looking at your stream? If you look at, you know, my Twitter, I very seldomly post intraday. It's, it's very, it's really, I think about it, then I do it. Um, but it, but it's, it, there's just so much noise on there that you have to know yourself. So for instance, I, I used to be terrible at having CNBC on and listening to it and out of boredom, just going and trading. So I, you know, I would just, they'd say, coming up, there's a little company involved in Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, it sort of looks like it's going to be a riot. And I, oh, right. That's it. You know, Joe Kernan used to do that. I used to call him the, the Riddler. Um, <laughs> so I'd go in and buy it. And then they'd come back from commercial. He'd mention it. Boom, it'd get its pop. And I was smart enough to figure it out. Uh, so I'd make 23 cents, whatever. And but but then it became I was just like an, a, a compulsion. I would trade any ticker. So finally, I you know found out I was losing money from it. It was noise. I turned it off. Same thing with Twitter. You know, I I really don't follow people there too much. I'm I'm aware of some people. When some people put up ideas, I'll look at the stocks. You know, if it's a symbol I don't know or maybe I haven't looked at it in a while, I go okay, that person's smart. They're looking at that symbol. Now let me look for myself. And I, I would never buy something because someone on social media, no matter how much respect I have for them and, and what they think in the market, I, I've always got to you know, make the idea my own and say, okay, here's how I view it when I look at my charts and these timeframes. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a lot of circle jerk, whatever, you know, noise. And I, I I don't think I don't think most people are there ill-intended. If they are, I'm really quick with the block button. I mean, any it, I mean, overly quick. I probably block some people that shouldn't be blocked. But you know, if if, if you're going to waste my time or, or say stupid stuff or call names, it's just we're at work. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Get the hell exactly. out of my office. You know exactly. You know, you think about. I, I always tell people. These people acted on a trade desk the way they act on Twitter. They get beat toward an inch of their life. I yeah. mean, where, I, where I'm from anyway, you'd get backhanded, like, without even, like. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's just the way it is, though. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess I don't see a lot of it because I've, I've done a good job of blocking them. In fact, I said to a friend yesterday, um, I, 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 here's the, behind the scenes, before I tweeted something, I was saying, Hey, Steve, look at all that, you know, look at the strength in solar. I think, you know, people think that, you know, this might be because they think Biden's going to win. So I said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to tweet it this way. 
It says non, non-political. Solar stocks seem to think Biden's going to win. And I said, let's, let's see how many people I can block from this. Because <laughs> I was really expecting, oh, no, you, you know, you've got to vote for this guy or that guy because of this or that. And, and I was actually kind of disappointed. I think I've, I've been too, too good on my block game that nobody said anything stupid. Or if they did, I didn't see it. <laughs> oh well, very good. I uh, and I and I've said this plenty of times before. Uh, I, I think Twitter could is a good resource if, like you said, you block out the uh, you know the you know whatever the type of people and the you, noise. Yeah, the noise. You block out the noise. You have to good inform people. Um, I just I don't know. I, people like stuff. People retweet stuff. It seems like I can't get away from it. I don't know. They got to fix my algorithm on Twitter. I don't know. You can go into the, you know, the people you follow, click on their name, and then there's those little three buttons, and you can click on that, and it says turn off retweets for that person. Oh, okay, good. Very good. So I've, I've done that for a number of people, that I, I don't see their retweets. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right, now it's time for our miscellaneous question section. Uh, okay. Fun with it, you know, not enough of the trading stuff. You guys just were trading, get out of here. We're, we're gonna talk some just life stuff. Brian, you're living out in Colorado, beautiful state. Tell us about it. How do you like living out there? I love it. You know, I, I, I'm in Denver. I think Denver's getting, you know, a little old for me. I want to move, you know, closer to the mountains because I, I love going skiing, hiking, biking, whatever. And, you know, to drive a half hour to get to the cool stuff every day is annoying. You there, Ray? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Is he? Uh... He froze. All right, we're back. Sorry, guys, we had a little technical difficulties. Yeah, Brian, you were telling us about living in Colorado. Yeah, I love Colorado. It's got all the outdoor activities. I love doing that, and you know, great weather, much better than people realize. Um, you know, you see a snowstorm once in a while, and and you know, we saw one a month ago, and here, you know, back in August, uh, and. You know, it's 75, 80 degrees today and will be for the probably the next week and a half. It's, it's a great place to live. Yeah, yeah, man. It seems like you guys are doing a lot of uh, cool things out there. I think at least like legislatively, too, it seems like. Uh, I know you got sports betting legal. That's that's something yeah. I enjoy. That's cool. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the marijuana industry out there? It's been uh, legal for a good while now. It's been legal. So, you know, when it when it first came, it, they had the medical it was medical only and so i went and faked a back injury and got a medical card uh, and i i thought it was i i and i still have it because it's from i don't know it's probably like 11 years old and it's what they called the red card it was just a piece of paper like your social security card and um i thought it was a, a, a cool piece of history i thought it was like this is awesome one day i'm going to show it to my grandkids and say yeah basically grandpa had a drinking card during the prohibition <laughs> um, so anyways, it's, it's, it's legal. It's rec now. It's not a big deal. Nobody really gives it much thought. I saw the other day that the, uh, you know, the reason that they were able to pass it is because they were, you know, the tax that they were doing was going to go to, to schools, a large part of it. And yeah. this year, the schools are going to have $500 million from that tax base that wouldn't exist already. Um, the business though itself, I think it's a terrible business. Anyone can grow it. Um, I, I grow some podges. It's a nice little hobby. It's fun. Uh, there's no reason to go buy it, really, unless you just want, you know, different strands or whatever. So I, I think it's a bad business model. 
Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad um, I brought this up because I think you tweeted, I, I saw you, it was something about the business and you linked the book. And it, right, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it caught, it caught my eye. Um, so you, any, um, you said you grow, any specific strands you have uh, inklings towards? You know, the best one I ever grew was uh, called Purple Urkel, which is an indica. I, 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 like, I like indica because it's, it's good for sleep. And that's really the only time I use it is, is it, it, at night for, for sleep. I think it's much healthier than Ambien. But, man, those buds were just beautiful. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful flowers. And, and the yield was insane. I got like a pound from two plants, which is kind of unheard of. Um, so that was my favorite, I guess. Yeah, nice, nice. I, I thought, friends were happy too because I was just giving it away. What am I going to do with a pound of weed? They just giving it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, too bad I wasn't out there. But uh, yeah, yeah, Brian, I thought it was interesting because the 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 expert you posted was comparing it to tomato right. farming. Um, I, I thought that was interesting, just just from the the business model of things is how the tomato industry still thrives, even though people grow it at home. And, right, uh, that, that, that's the thing. And, you know, yeah. But the thing about weed, too, is, I mean, your, your tomatoes go bad. I mean, you can grow, and at the end of the season, all of a sudden, you've got, you know, a huge bucket of tomatoes, and you can't get rid of them quick enough. Whereas pot, you know, if you grow it even just one cycle during the summer, you can have, you know, a quarter pound from a couple of plants pretty easily, and, you know, it'll last you all year. There's There's no storage issues with it as well, so I think that it's even you know, e even more than the tomato business that I think that it's, it's going to hurt the industrial part because it is a weed. I mean, it's pretty easy to grow. A lot of people think it's complicated. It's really not that, it's not that difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I just, I just always think it, it's real neat how far it's just, at least it's came acceptance wise. Um, almost seems like mainstream now what well, it is. I mean, it's getting legal in certain states. So I always think about that and that's interesting um brian uh hobbies you have outside of trading uh well you know outdoor stuff um i you know skiing hiking biking uh fishing you know that sort of thing we yeah outdoor things yeah well yeah you're in the, the perfect state for all that stuff yeah uh, well what are your thoughts are you somebody who concentrates on trying to live balanced life or you kind of more or less go with the flow of things um, depends on, you know, how far out of balance I get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I generally go with the flow of things. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got my routines and, and that sort of thing, but I, I try to keep it pretty balanced, you know, healthy exercise, eat well. Uh, it, it's what, you know, keeps your, gives you an edge in, in trading, I think as well, being well rested, having a healthy body and a mindset. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. That, that's why I like to ask people the question, because at least my belief, or at least like me personally, and I know everyone's a little different and everyone operates differently, but like I need to take care of myself, uh, be balanced. I can't be all trading all the time, or I, I think I just, my mind burns out. Um, but, you know, that's just me. I know everyone's a little bit different. No, no, I, I agree there. And in fact, I was going to, you know, remind me, reminds me when I was younger, I used to hate the three-day weekends. Like, oh, market's closed for a day. Now what am I supposed to do with my life? Now I wish every weekend was, was three days. And, it, you know, because to get that balance and, and to, to, you know, to refocus and, and slow things down and the markets will be there. The opportunities will be there. 
Um, and, you know, as, as you get a little bit older, you realize it is more about balance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was, I think it's even uh, proved the point even more to me is like, you know, I was out for, you know, I didn't trade for about a week because, you know, I right. was with the coronavirus and I just, you know, even mentally, I was not sharp mentally at all. Um, I come back and I've been just on a tear. It, it, it's funny wow. how you coming back with a fresh mind. I, I think that's for me, it was like, you know, kind of like a break, not the type of break I obviously wanted to have, right. but come back to the market with a fresh mind. Uh, I think it really just was, uh, you know, drove that point home, you know, for me. Yeah, um, it, that's, that's what vacations are for too, right? And a lot of people don't want to take a vacation. They just want to, you know, they want to trade around the clock. They want to trade Globex. They want to trade, you know, Forex and Bitcoin and slow down. I mean, the market's over. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I really, I really learned this point from poker too. It's like, we, we don't, uh, with the, you know, especially with trading too, like we don't get paid by the hour. We get paid on our performance. And I think sometimes it's a counterintuitive point. People think more hours equals more money and it's not necessarily the case in what we're doing. Yeah. I, I think more so in poker where you can have those two day games or whatever. Right. I mean, yeah. to be able to walk away, there's not a bell that says it's over. Right, right, right. And I, that could be a, a difficult thing to manage, I think. I bet. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Brian, uh, books you're currently reading? Oh, I've got uh, two or three uh, that I have loaded up. What stands out? Um, the Body, it's called. Um, the guy who wrote it is, um, you know, considered one of these great authors. It's pretty fascinating stuff. It reads more of a story than I thought it would. So I just kind of started getting into that. Um, this is uh, fiction? Uh, I, no, it, it, it's, uh, I, I don't know how you would describe it. I haven't read enough of it yet. Um, it's about the human body and how it operates and that sort of, so it's, it's factual, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. You're on death row, Brian. What's your last meal going to be? I'd just say probably a steak and a bottle of wine. And to make my wife happy, I'll eat some vegetables. <laughs> to make her happy with the last meal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah before, all right. Excellent. JJ, hey. any more questions for, for our guy? One question. And because every day somebody calls, asks me, I want to trade prop. I want to trade prop. I want to trade prop. And so, Brian, what advice do you have for people who want to trade prop? You've been doing this so long. You've trained probably tons of people. Um, give, give these folks some advice, please. I think there's some great opportunities out there. It, it, it depends on what your goals are, what your capital base is. Do you want to work with a team or are you more of an individual type of trader? Um, there it's, you know, you're going to give up, a, a you're going to give something up. Uh, but if you're, you know, in, in other words, you'll be paying a commission or a percentage of your profits or both, but there's some great opportunities to learn, you know, from a group setting. And if you can find the right group that makes sense for you, I'd, I'd say go for it. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. It's been, uh, like having a breath of fresh air on the show here. It's great. Thanks, JJ. I appreciate that and everything you guys are doing here. It's great. Yeah, for Thank sure. You. Thanks for coming on. And so that concludes today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. 
you guys enjoyed this show, please rate and review it for us. If you want to learn market auction theory, market profile, trade futures, trade equities, trade options, we've got a lovely community. Join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Brian, tell people where they can find you, anything else you want them to know. Yeah, uh, alphatrends.net is my website, and uh, it's alphatrends on Twitter. So there you go. All right, excellent. All right, and so for Ryan Shannon, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, so. Good night, everyone. Thanks. All good, clear?